Good morning, saints. <laughs> that is my favorite all-time opener when I'm speaking to a church group I've never spoken to before. I mean, sometimes it's good evening, saints, or good afternoon, saints. But regardless of the time of the day, when I greet a group that I'm speaking to, good morning, saints, there's a very minimal reply. This isn't just the minimal reply that a new speaker usually gets when there's not audience participation. It's less than that because people are confused by the fact that I'm calling them saints. And so I capitalize on it and I follow up with, good evening, sinners. <laughs> and every time I get a bigger good evening, I get a little bit of a laugh and that, oh, that is my favorite way to greet an audience. And nowadays, I play into it even more. I say, it's really, really good to know who you're talking to. And then I explain the fact. See, here's the deal. All of us, because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, all of us are at the very same time saint and sinner. There's a Latin phrase, similustus et peccator. It's tattooed on my left forearm. At the very same time, we are saint and sinner. Because of Jesus, his death and resurrection, who he was and what he did, we are seen as holy, we are seen as perfect, we are seen as saints. And yet, we're sinners. We mess up. We fall short. Some people think we have to spend a lot of time convincing people that they're sinners, convincing people that they fall short of God's standard. I found we don't. We don't even need to convince people that they've fallen short of their own standard. We do things we don't want to do. The moment we realize God's standard is even higher than our own standard, we see that we're at the same time saint and sinner. And so this greeting, it's not that I'm trying to divide the audience, that the right half of the audience are the saints and the left half are the sinners, but it's all of us. We are all at the same time saint and sinner. And so I thought that would be a great way to intro. I know technically season three started with the last episode, with episode 23, but this is episode 24, and I'm calling this one Unity and Diversity. And what we're going to talk about here in season three is what I call a line. Even though I joke about it when I say, good morning, saints, good morning, sinners, that it's a good thing to know who you're talking to, it really is a good thing to know who you're talking to. When we look at that Finding Tove treasure map, the three points, see, say, separate, who you say what to when matters. And so we're going to spend some time first looking at this greatest commandment. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest of all the commandments? One of the first things I want to do is look at who was asking. Why? Because who we say what to when matters. In Jesus' day, there were two major political parties. <laughs> Imagine that. There was the political line, but there were divisions between the groups. One of those groups was called the Pharisees, and one of the groups was called the Sadducees. Nowadays, 2,000 years later, when we refer to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we just think the religious leaders of Israel 2,000 years ago. 
But that would be like 2,000 years from now, somebody going, the Democrats and the Republicans, those were the political leaders of America. They would probably miss the nuance just because time had separated them that far. Each group has an ideology. They have their biases. They have what's important to them. For the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it's easiest to remember this way. The Sadducees, that word starts with an S, they were about the sacrificial system. The Sadducees were the priests. They got their power from the sacrifices. They got their power from the temple. The reason they were important was because of the entire sacrificial system that existed. The other party, they were the Pharisees. It's not that they didn't care about the sacrificial system. They owned that it was part of their reality. Personally, they still offered sacrifices. That was what they did. But the Pharisees' power wasn't the sacrificial system. It was from the law. It was from the book. They were the lawyers of the day. So if you need a little device to remember who's in charge of what, The Pharisees, they were the lawyers. They decided what was fair, how you you interpreted the law. And the Sadducees, that starts with S, they were in charge of the sacrifices. There was a lot they agreed on, but there were huge differences, just like in America today. All politicians, they really want America to succeed. They have a vested interest in that. How they go about it is very, very, very different. In Israel, 2,000 years ago, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they both were religious leaders. But what was important was very, very different. And so the fact a Pharisee came up to Jesus and asked this question, that matters. So a Pharisee walks up to Jesus and he asks him this question. What is the greatest of all the commandments? Don't miss the nuance here. Don't miss the undertone. Yes, he wanted to hear Jesus' answer, but more than that, he wanted to hear whose side do you fall on? Are you a Pharisee or are you a Sadducee? Who do you align with? The Bible says the guy asking the question was a teacher of the law. He was concerned about the law. He wasn't a Sadducee. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't as concerned with the question. It may seem like an innocuous question, but don't miss how loaded it is. Trisha and I were were looking at Christmas cards this year, and it was amazing. We saw this Christmas card, and it was pretty, and it was colorful, and it had a message on it, and we almost bought this box of Christmas cards. It looked innocuous enough. But then when we got up to the counter, we realized there were little nuances in this Christmas card, and it wasn't a Christmas card as much as it was advancing a political ideology. Now, whether Trish and I agreed with that political ideology or not really isn't the point of the story. The point is, we don't want our Christmas cards to be about a political ideology. We found that whole thing frustrating. Can't a Christmas card just be a Christmas card? Can't a Christmas card just wish our friends Merry Christmas? I don't know if anybody else can get into that. Our car ride home was just filled with the conversation of, was that saying what we think it was saying? Were we reading too much into it? But it was really, 
the ambiguity of the whole thing is kind of what made it icky. And that's what I feel when I read this question from this Pharisee where he asked Jesus, what's the greatest of all the commandments? The question this teacher of the law was asking, it was icky because it was ambiguous. He was saying, if you agree with me, then that's the way I met the question. But if you didn't agree with me, then you were kind of missing the point. See, here's the deal. If, if you walk down the middle of the highway, you are always going to get hit. And so there's this tension when Jesus is asked this question. And there's a sheer brilliance in Jesus' response. So here's the deal. The guy asking the question, most likely, I wasn't there, I can't prove it, but the fact he was a Pharisee, meant that on his forehead, he had this little wooden box that was attached by leather straps. He also had one on his right hand, a wooden box attached with leather straps. Why? Because an observant Jew at that time, that's what they wore. Chances are that on the doorpost of his house, there was the same thing. If you were in Israel right now, you'd walk around and you'd see this. If you went to the Western Wall, you'd see men praying with these boxes tied to their forehead and the boxes tied to their hand. If you walked by the homes, you'd see these little boxes, rectangular boxes, and on the outside of them would be a letter. Unless you speak Hebrew, you wouldn't recognize it as a letter. It almost looks like a, kind of like a W, kind of like a pitchfork without the pitchfork part. It's called a sheen. It's pronounced sh. It's the sh sound. And it's the first letter of the word shema. Shema is shorthand in the Bible for this verse of the Bible. It's the first word of the verse that says shema Israel Adonai Elohino Adonai Echad. To translate that, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. People wore these boxes on their forehead and on their right hand. They attached these boxes to their house because inside of them was this little scroll that reminded them of the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment was this, and it still is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The shorthand for that is Shema. And yeah, we translate the word Shema here. We're not talking about here as in the technical sense of sound waves hitting your eardrums. The Shema said here the same way my dad said here. Growing up, my dad ran this rental store. He was the GM. They rented everything from tools to cars to... They rented everything. Along one of the main drags, we had two entrances to the shop. All of the equipment was inside of a chain link fence. Now, because dad was the GM... Me and my brothers and my sisters, we worked for him in the summertime. One day, the fence needed to be painted. Me and my brother, we went out to paint the fence. It took longer than we expected, but we used the, the aerosol spray painter, and they had this blue color that the building was painted. It was really branded. It was really unique to that building. About rush hour, cars started going by, and the wind picked up. 
dad walked outside and he said, okay guys, you're done painting for the day. He was calm, he was cool, he was collected. Turns out the wind had picked up and all of the paint we were spraying the fence with was hitting the cars going by rush hour. And we had this huge, huge insurance claim. Dad didn't blame us. Nobody saw it coming. How could you expect a couple 16-year-old kids to think through that kind of thing? But what happened from that point on is Dad would give us very, very specific instructions when it came to things. And he'd end with the question, Do you hear me, son? He wasn't asking, did the sound waves hit our ears? What dad was asking is, do you comprehend what I said and will you live into it to the best of your ability? That is why the Shema is called the Shema. It's not just hear, O Israel. It's Israel, hear this. Let it sink into the fiber of your being live this out, live into it. When I used to teach classes at the university, the way I'd say Shema was this, write it down. Still when I preach, um, if I repeat something two, three times, that's a Shema statement. Write it down, remember it. This is important stuff. Do you hear me? Here's why it's important. God is one. The greatest commandment starts from unity. It starts from a, a unity that is also diversity. There's some languages, English isn't one of them, where the verb, in case you need a refresher on like third grade English, the verb is the action being done, where the verb matches the noun, the person, place, and thing. That is, if the noun is male, masculine, then the verb changes to be masculine too. For example, since I'm one guy, if I'm doing something, the verb that I'm doing would be a singular masculine verb. That's because I'm a single male. But if me and a friend who were also male were doing the same thing, let's say we were chopping wood. The verb chopping wood would become plural. Not just me and my friend plural, but the the act of chopping wood, the verb would become plural. So just me chopping wood, I'm singular masculine. Chopping wood is singular masculine. Me and a buddy chopping wood, me and a buddy plural masculine. Chopping wood would also become plural masculine. The verb and the noun have to match. This is where it gets interesting because the opening line of the Bible says, in the beginning God created. God is the noun and it's masculine plural. But the verb created is masculine singular. It's a grammar rule that gets broken. Or it's saying that God is plural and singular at the same time, that there is a diversity in the unity, that there is a plural singularness. This continues, by the way, that when the spirit hovers over the water, spirit is singular feminine, God masculine plural. It's going, God is multiple but one. Third time it shows up in, in that first opening line is God said. God, masculine, plural, said, masculine, singular. 
So you already have the Trinity in the opening lines of the Bible. You've got creator, spirit, and word, three and yet one. There is a diversity in the unity. Grammar matters. Sometimes the grammar is making the point and the opening of the Bible is that there is a plurality in unity. There is one God in three persons, creator or father, spirit and son or word. Oh, it gets so good. That's what the Shema, the greatest commandment, is based on. That's what it's getting at. Unity and diversity. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This unity and diversity is such a big deal. The guy asking the question knows it. He has it tattooed or at least strapped on his right hand and on his forehead. It's written on the doorpost of his house inside of a scroll. This lawyer, this Pharisee, the one most concerned with where Jesus is in the political hierarchy, man, he's missing the unity and diversity. After it's based on unity and diversity, the Shema goes on to let us know this. Our first thing we do is love God. Love this God who is three in one. And we love God, check this out, with our whole heart and with our soul, and with our strength. That's, that's the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one, and you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and all of your soul, and all of your strength. And then when Jesus answers the question, he adds mind. This isn't adding to scripture. It's back when the Shema was written. People didn't think about the mind. They didn't, they didn't realize the mind was a thing. Jesus wasn't adding something to it. He was making the point that we go all in. See, your heart, back then, your heart wasn't your emotional center. That's where your soul was located. Your soul was your emotional center, way down in your belly. Your heart was about your will. And don't let that throw you. See, when I see Trish, my heart skips a beat, I say that, but I also get butterflies in my tummy. We're locating emotions in a part of our body. We still do that today. If you hear somebody playing great, amazing music, you say, that guy has soul. And so one of the questions we're going to ask during this next couple weeks of this podcast is where's your heart? That is, where's your will? We're also going to ask, where's your soul? Where's your emotions? Are they aligned with your heart? Are we talking about a plural here or a singular here? Because it's based on oneness. How aligned is your heart, soul, strength, and mind? Is there diversity? Yes. But is there unity in diversity? Oh, I hope so. And that's what we're digging into in the first several episodes of season three of Finding Tove, I'm calling the arc here a line. And I have to wonder, what would have happened if the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have aligned? How different would the church have been? What would happen today if politicians could align? 
If we could go, hold on, yes, there's diversity here, but there is also a unity, and we need to press into the, the unity more. What would happen if churches would align? I'm not saying that we ignore our differences. There are differences and there are disagreements. But what would happen if we could learn somehow to celebrate the unity that's in the diversity? And those are all big, overarching things. Before we can get there, before I can get there, I have to start with me. What would happen if I could align? If I could align a little bit more, if I could shema and align my heart, my soul, my strength, and my mind, my will, my emotions, my resources, and my thoughts, to be more loving to God, and that that would overflow into loving both my neighbor and myself. Oh, this is big stuff that we're pressing into in season three. And this is what finding Tove is about. One of the reasons we struggle to find our Tove, to find our unique, one-of-a-kind purpose, is because within ourselves there is diversity. And often we don't stop and let that diversity come into unity. So that's the adventure we're setting out on this season. And as we do, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you join us. And most of all, I hope your journey is covered with grace and peace.